Welcome back to our weekly boxing podcast brought to you by our corner men and women over at Paddy Power, where we dissect the biggest fights on the planet. This week, we're here from Alexander Usyk's manager, Alex Krasuk. Charlotte reports from Monte Carlo, where Cordina went up against Vasquez for the IBF Super Featherweight title. And matchroom promoter Eddie Hearn is back again. This is The Hook. Charlotte, looking forward to you telling us about the glitz and the glamour of your trip to Monte Carlo. Not jealous, of course, from my humble home in Hemel Hempstead. But first, uh, why don't we talk about Fury and Usyk, the continued fallout from Fury and Nganu, of course, over in Saudi Arabia, which you managed to go out and cover. All the talk now is all about when is this undisputed title fight going to happen and how is it going to look that's one of the main things. Before this Nganu encounter, it was almost a foregone conclusion that Fury would beat all comers, was it not? I think the perceptions have changed drastically since Nganu went the distance with Fury. It's amazing. All the conversation is still around Fury, Usyk and Nganu. Normally, after fight nights, we move on to the next thing, but this just seems to be a topic of conversation we can't avoid at the moment, and with good reason, given um, what's on the line if Fury and Usyk do go toe-to-toe. Fans wanted it on December 23rd. Fury said before the fight that if it didn't happen on December 23rd, he was going to sue Usyk, but it has now been pushed Um to the new year. We're expecting an announcement on exactly when within the next week. Um, but yeah, Fury's team chose to move the date due to the long training camp that Fury had put in for Nganu, and they wanted him to be able to rest up and recover after that Nganu fight because it was a lot more physically and mentally draining than he had thought. Yeah, it's funny how Fury thought he was backing Usyk into a corner with December 23rd, and then 12, you know, 10 rounds with Nganu, and those ideas changed pretty quickly with Frank Warren and Fury after the fight kind of collecting their thoughts and going, well, maybe it won't be the Christmas showdown. And now we're hearing February is probably the more likely month that this fight is going to take place. Uh, I mean, well, it- if you remember actually with Usyk, um, before Fury's fight, there was lots of talk about the fact that Usyk wanted to push it and he didn't want to do December 23rd. Now, What I've heard since is the fact that Usyk was actually carrying an injury while in training camp and that he didn't feel he was going to be ready for December 23rd. But having sat ringside and watched Fury's performance against Nganu, he's thinking, even if I'm a little bit injured, I feel like I can actually now take Fury at the level that he's at. So that's why now Usyk is really pushing for the fight to happen sooner rather than later because he feels like he now has the advantage over Fury, whereas beforehand he didn't want that fight to take place on December 23rd because he wanted to be in top condition and kind of iron out any of those niggles that he was still carrying. So it's interesting how it's also all mind games of how they think they can get one up on each other and when's the best time to fight for each of them. Well, as we say, 10 rounds with the hardest puncher in the world will change all opinions. Um, Let's talk about that side of the equation in Saudi Arabia. Let's move on to Francis Ngannou quickly. He's talking about being a WBC-ranked heavyweight, which in, in itself does bring opportunities and different fights. A lot of us, myself included, being a big MMA fan, knew about the formidable power of Ngannou, arguably the most devastating heavyweight that division has ever seen and yet these past few weeks 
I feel like I haven't seen his name this much ever. Right? He has reached a new level of stardom and desire and all these opportunities. What, what do you think the lay of the land is for Francis Ngannou right now? Well, before the fight, he kept saying to me that he was going to shock the world. You know, Dewey Cooper saw me at ringside immediately afterwards and he said, I told you in Las Vegas that he was going to shock the world and he did. That's exactly what he did. You know, as you said, his name is being spoken about left, right and centre. They're talking about ranking him. I think the performance that he put on showed that he is capable of being a heavyweight boxer. Um, But I do find it amazing the names that he's been linked with since. You know, Derek Chisora has taken to Twitter to call him out and say that he wants a fight. We've got Eddie Hearn saying they've approached Ngannou's camp over what he's calling a rumble in the jungle too. He'd like to stage that fight in Africa. Then you've got Deontay Wilder who wants to fight him. And apparently Deontay Wilder is um, talking about doing kind of a two fight deal that one fight will be in the ring and the other will be in the octagon. You know, apparently Deontay Wilder has actually spent the last couple of months training in MMA for the prospect of fighting Francis Ngannou in the octagon. So, I mean, the world is really Francis's oyster at the moment. He has the pick of the crop when it comes to these heavyweights. I mean, there's, there's boxers, contenders that have been trying to speak to these guys for years and been trying to get fights with Joshua, with Deontay Wilder, with even Chisora at this point. And they can't even get a look in. But now Francis Ngannou, who everyone dismissed a couple of weeks ago, has the pick of the choice. Yeah, everyone sees money in it now, certainly at this stage coming fresh off the Tyson Fury fight. He shouldn't be taking the Chisora fight. He really shouldn't. Like, if if you go from Tyson Fury taking the champion to the distance and then you've got offers like Joshua and Wilder that could be so lucrative, not not only is, like, Chisora not as a glamorous fight and you don't stand to win as much from a reputation standpoint, but he's also still a very dangerous bloke. So the the risk-reward ratio is not there for Ngannou, in my opinion, to take on Chisora. I would not advise that for him uh, on, on a number of different routes. But, you know, AJ and... And what I mean, Wilder in an octagon. Oh my lord! Uh, he'd have to train some legs. I'll tell you that uh, he, do- <laughs> he doesn't want Ngannou to take him down. He really doesn't. But in a boxing ring, I'd love to see those two trade. Wilder, arguably the hardest hitter of the heavyweight division for the past decade, maybe more, uh, against Ngannou, who has the hardest punch in the world. I think again that sells itself. But speaking of sales, this fight didn't sell very well. Ngannou and Fury, in in America at least. We don't really know what's going on with, you know, the British element. ESPN reportedly did 56,000 buys. Uh, and then from DirecTV, 11,500. 11,500. That, uh, I mean, again, these are reported numbers. But I'm talking about, you know, people would love to see Wilder and Ngannou. And I guess that's just my fighting fandom talking but Ngannou maybe isn't or wasn't a name in America before this fight. And perhaps we overestimated what Fury's name is in America too. I think there's a number of factors that were problematic in terms of pay-per-view buys. I think the fact that, you know, the price was set at $79.99 oh, for so the fight. High. Yeah, considering the fact that Francis Ngannou was being underestimated at the time, um, the price was far too high. I think that was ridiculous. Um, I also think the timing of the card didn't help. You know, it took place midday on a Saturday in America, well outside 
normal pay-per-view hours, which isn't ideal. And then, you know, it was aired on ESPN Plus in the US, which, you know, meant that they were entirely bound to streaming platforms only. So it's no surprise that the TV sales weren't there for America. Um, But it is an interesting concept because I I was looking on kind of social media to see what the fans were saying. And they were saying that actually the fight would have sold better if it was on something like Misfits. They said that, you know, it's a younger generation and they're all kind of tech savvy and stuff like that, that actually it would have sold better on a slightly different platform. Um, Now, I think if you were to offer the rematch for Fury and Ngani, I think those sales would go up. I think the fact that what happened in the first fight would encourage people to tune in to the second. I mean, I definitely would tune in to the second for sure. Don't know if I'd pay $79.99 for it, but I would definitely tune in. Um, So I think there's lessons to be learned from um, the first one. I think if they do want to hit that American audience, they can't be putting it midday on a Saturday. I've got to say, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not a walking currency converter, <laughs> but that's like 50 quid, right? Like there's not many fights yeah. I'd pay 50 quid for. There's not many. I've no. got to tell you. No. Um, yeah. And I'm sure there were people watching it via nefarious means <laughs> as is so common exactly. these days. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, that is such a high price point that I'm not surprised that people turned their nose up at it. Um, so Ngani was saying to TMZ yesterday that he's, prepared to wait for the winner of Fury and Usyk, right, before he gets in the ring again, despite these litany of offers that he has. He thinks that's his best shot back. We think that might be in February. Um, I guess the way to clear it up, though, you was able to speak to Alex Trasic last week. Yeah, I got to catch up with him um, ringside for the Joe Cordina fight. And, uh, yeah, he had a lot of thoughts on you know, Fury's performance on the night, what Usyk is saying about whether the fight will happen, when it will happen. Um, So, yeah, let's hear what he had to say. It was definitely not his best performance, not even close to his his worst performance. I've never seen him like that, and I hope I will never see him like that. Listen, he won the fight, there is no doubt about it, but the way he did it did not look good. And, you know, Usyk was ringside for that fight. What did he make of it, being up close and personal and watching Fury like that? He was sweating all the fight because he was, <laughs> there was a chance for Tyson to lose. Can you imagine? Well, though Tyson still remains the champion, but if he loses, who would have watched this fight? Yeah. This fight didn't seem to make big success in the United States. I, uh, like a couple hours ago, I saw the reports from the pay-per-views in uh, the U.S., so this was the fight that did not bring that much attention. Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be completely different if when he fights Usyk. And in terms of the fight itself, do you think they gave Usyk kind of more confidence in terms of their undisputed fight because it wasn't the best Tyson Fury we've seen and it exposed some of the weaknesses that he may potentially have? You know, Usyk is uh, such, a, such a great professional that he knew all the weaknesses that Tyson Fury has. Did it bring any extra confidence? No, Usyk has always been confident in what he does. Otherwise, there is no space for him in boxing. I mean, he became the undisputed cruiserweight and he went to run for the the undisputed uh, heavyweight race. And, uh, well, that's where he is now and he has just one, one belt left. 
And in terms of that fight with Tyson Fury, now Tyson was saying before the fight that if Usyk didn't fight on December 23rd, he was going to sue you guys. After the fight, he said, see you in the new year. So what's going on? When are we expecting that fight to actually take place now? Listen, we friendly with hearts full of love call Tyson Fury a random thought generator. So that was one of his random thoughts before the fight and uh, probably the other one after the fight. You cannot match it. And a lot of people are saying that Tyson needs time out of the ring now. They said mentally and physically after that fight, he needs some time out. Do you agree with that? And are you willing to give him the time that he needs? It depends on uh, how he's going to spend this time. If it, if it uh, like brings him to a better shape and better spirits, then definitely yes. But uh, we remember Tyson after he defeated Klitschko and was supposed to fight in the rematch. He spent his time, uh, let's say, not in the best manner. And in terms of before the fight, a lot of people were criticizing Usyk, saying he needed longer in camp. Does this actually suit him now that he can have a bit more time to prepare for the fight? Well, uh, when we signed the date, uh, December 23, Usyk was confident in this date. So he approved it and his camp approved it. When uh, this uh, talks about 14 weeks appeared, there was just a common interview in Ukrainian when he was asked a question, how long does he need? So he asked that normally he needs 14 weeks. But you, you know how it happens. Now he has 14 weeks. <laughs> Funny how that's played out, brilliant. <laughs> and so is that exactly when we will see this fight take place? Have you guys had that conversation that you've locked in a day or is it still flexible at the moment? We plan to make some announcements next week. Okay. And how have Saudi Arabia been with it? Because I know they were pretty keen on the December 23rd. Is that, has that irritated them in some matters? Because they're obviously putting a lot of money into this. Listen, these people are amazing people. They are very professional and they have huge knowledge and experience in sports. So they understand it clearly and uh, they want to make it. So they put uh, all the efforts uh, to, to match all the, how you say it, uh, all the wants and needs of the fighters. These are the champions, the fighter, the, the champion is fighting the champion. So they want to match, they want to make them feel comfortable. Well, first of all, Charlotte, my ears are nearly bleeding from that first question. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> I think you had to speak it up a little bit. It was loud ringside, okay? Right. <laughs> Listen, it, was, it... it was just as Joe Cordina was walking out. The fans were going crazy. Exactly. It's not my fault. <laughs> you see that? We're in the thick of the action here. Charlotte's putting the work in. Uh, I, I love how you pushed him on the date, though. You did try, didn't you? <laughs> I know, I was really hoping he'd tell me, but he, uh, yeah, I was keeping that under wraps for now. I do think what he said, though, about um, Fury's weight was really interesting and kind of the way that he spends his time off. You know, Fury can't balloon up and try and then shed 50 to 100 pounds without it slowing him down and kind of taking away some of his power. So, um, yeah, I found that really interesting. And, you know, I thought, considering how he looked at the start of the Nganu camp, um, yeah, might be a little bit concerning for where he's at ahead of Usyk. And maybe Krasik's a lot smarter than all of us because he calls Fury a random thought generator. Now, all of us, <laughs> we spend so much time dissecting what Fury says uh, when really we should <laughs> just take it as easily as Krasik does because we're, we were all going, oh, you know, he's going to take him to court and December 23rd is the date. You know, we were starting to think, oh, God, 
you know, you're going out to Saudi again, a, a Saudi Christmas and, and all of this stuff. <laughs> uh, and then it can just switch on a dime, which Tyson Fury does so often, which we shouldn't forget. Like, he does flip-flop back and forth. But one thing about Krasik and Usyk, they seem so cool and composed about it all. Like, that's what's impressed me the most. They, they seem how to know how to handle Tyson Fury. Yeah, you have to take what Tyson Fury says with a pinch of salt because one day it's one thing, the next day it's something else. And to be honest, I think that's probably why negotiations are working quite well with the Usyk camp compared to perhaps the AJ camp because AJ's camp kind of took everything he said literally and they'd get very frustrated when things didn't come through as they said they were going to come through. Whereas I think Usyk's now learned to just go with the flow. It's going to happen. You know, Krasik said there about the fact that they actually have a really good relationship with the Fury camp. And I do think that that helps, you know, a level of mutual respect. It's it's something I spoke to Eddie Hearn about, um, actually, whilst I was in Monte Carlo, whether the relationship between promoters gets in the way of these big fights happening because of the fact that they have bad blood and stuff like that. So obviously they said it doesn't, um, but, you know, it's got to be hard to negotiate with someone you dislike, right? Well, the man sitting atop of the division that we're talking about so frequently at the moment, Tyson Fury, uh, it's, just, it's a bit of a strange time for him at the moment coming off the back of this Nganu fight. I mean, he's received... So much praise uh, over the last few years, and rightly so, for all of the accomplishments that he's managed to attain. But recently, the narrative around him seems to, it does seem to have changed a little bit. Uh, let's face it, fans would have wanted to seen him fight AJ Usyk by now, much to your point earlier. Absolutely. It's the fight we've all been waiting for. I mean, obviously, the undisputed title... You don't have to explain why everyone wants to see that. With AJ, it's an all-British bout. I mean, it would be sensational. And I think Tyson Fury, as much as he diminishes it and says it's not important, it's a really important fight for him in terms of cementing his legacy, which he says he doesn't care about. I think he does. Um, Because if he manages to beat AJ, he's beaten every fighter, every top fighter within his era. I mean, of course he's going to want to do that. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, and Fury, the gregarious promoter slash fighter um, when it comes to, you know, he's well aware of the show as well as the fight these days. But he wasn't in the mood for talking and promoting what's coming next after the Nganu fight. Like, don't don't let his uh, persona deceive you in some ways. He is a man who cares very much about his fighting legacy and, and what happens inside that ring. And he clearly cared a lot about what happened against Nganu. Very disappointed written all over his face. And I think, uh, you know, I've seen it before with Fury when he fought Otto Valin, and I thought that was a horrendous performance from him. But obviously the cut over his eye played a big role into that, right? Like, it kind of changed the fight. But he wasn't performing well before then and didn't perform well after. I think since then, the way he ran through Deontay Wilder like he said he would in those those, uh, second and third fights... And then the way he kind of dismantled Dillian White, who I, I even thought was going to be a lot more challenging for him than it ultimately ended up being, that this invincibility, this aura has kind of been built up around him that Nganu served to d- smash away, to be honest. Yeah, well, that's part of Tyson Fury's character, isn't it? If you listen to him and even listen to his dad, John, you know, he's constantly saying, 
my son's the man that can't be beaten. No man on this planet can beat my son. That's how they have all this energy and this hype and everything like that, that he walks through these fighters, he puts them in their place, he emerges victorious. But you could see him and his family were deflated ringside. I've never seen an atmosphere like it before, that, you know, you've won the fight, but it was as if Tyson had lost, that the energy in the room was zapped, his fans were zapped he was even zapped you know it was an awkward encounter when Usyk got in the ring we were all excited for that face-to-face but Fury didn't want it clearly Usyk didn't really say a lot it was just awkward to see and then you know we were hanging around afterwards waiting for a press conference to happen which didn't happen in the end um and I found that quite an interesting decision because you know, he's won the fight. Normally, if you've won, you do the press conference. And, you know, I'm in two minds. I think he should have filled out his media obligation, but also I understand why his team potentially took him out of that situation to protect him. Um, but I posed the question to Eddie Hearn because of the fact that we've seen AJ turn up to press conferences with concussion or even after the meltdown he had had in the ring after the Usyk fight. Um, so I wanted to get his take on it because of the fact that Fury walked away from the presser having actually won. I understand why a fighter wouldn't do a press conference, but... When you put yourself in that position like Fury did in that kind of exhibition style fight and you make the media engage with you and sell the fight and help you make a load of money, I don't like the look of just going, no, I ain't going to see, you know, I'm not going to see them. I get it as well. And emotions always run high after a fight. The two incidents that you talk about, I actually said to Anthony Joshua, don't do the press conference after the Ruiz fight, not after the Usyk fight, but after the, Ru- the Ruiz fights because the doctor said to him, you've got concussion, like, you shouldn't do the press conference. And he just said, I think it's a terrible look. Like, I can't bring all this media out here, you know, swan around when I'm winning, and I get beat, and then I just say, no, screw them. So he went up, he did it. The Usyk one was more difficult to deal with because, obviously, he had the episode in the ring. But, again, same thing. Once he calmed down backstage and did his drugs test, he was like, look, they've all come out to Saudi Arabia. Like, sometimes the best thing to do is to face the music and just hold your hands up. And listen, some of the interviews that Fury did, I think, I like the, it's me, it's on me. Don't blame anyone else. I did this, you know, etc. So respect to him. In my opinion, he should have gone. And really in that position, it's down to the promoter to gauge the situation and say, listen, mate, I think you should go. So we don't know if Frank Warren said, listen, I think it'd be good considering what you've been paid to do this press conference. Or Frank went, Listen, don't worry about it. I'll go and deal with him. And, but for me, in that position, it's not like he got knocked out. And he won, yeah. by the way. So you'd think you'd go and face the music. December 23rd is a date that is flying around at the moment. There's a lot of talk about potentially AJ fighting on December 23rd. Is that going to be in Ghana? I'd, I'd be surprised. I mean, I have heard that the Saudis are looking to do a show on December 23rd. We've had some approaches to our own fighters about fighting on a card out there on the 23rd. So we'll have to see. Um, it's seven weeks on Saturday it's a very fast turnaround and I can't see it but you know AJ would be ready to fight on the 23rd so I reached out to Nganu's team yesterday and you know we just need to know if Nganu's an option for us moving forward if not we'll continue with our original plan but 
it's a massive fight. It's the biggest fight out there for Francis Ngannou, other than the Fury rematch, which he can't take. So we'll have to see. And other names that have been swirling around, there's been Andy Ruiz, Hergovic, Deontay Wilder, of course. Um, Deontay Wilder even took to social media to kind of beg Anthony Joshua to do the fight and get it on. Has there been any more communications? Where are we at in terms of their chat with that fight? Just really putting the options together for the venues and the money to report back to both fighters. I think you know, we agreed a deal for January. It didn't come, in, come off. So we now look at March or April. And really, USA is an option for that fight. But also we've had approaches from other countries to stage the fight. And it's our job to go through those approaches and, and put the numbers together, put them to the fighters, and then see what they want to do. So we could potentially see AJ out in December against someone. Or, or in January. And yeah. then maybe in March or further on, yeah, then we'll get absolutely. the Wilder fight. Yeah. Okay, well, that would be good to see. Don't believe that for a second, for one. <laughs> AJ won't be fighting twice in five or six months. Uh, I believe it when I see it. More great work from Charlotte there in uh, Monte Carlo on the road with her microphone. You can watch that on Male Sport Boxing YouTube channel. Many of you have. Uh, here's a comment from Raj Mia saying, AJ is at the crossroads in his career. Another loss similar to Ruiz and he will be done. No one rates AJ anymore. Stop talking crap, Eddie, and get AJ to fight Wilder and get his credibility back. Um, I mean, blunt. Strong take. Blunt, but there is some sense to be made out of that, Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a really important time in AJ's career. I do think another loss would be particularly damaging, especially dependent on the calibre of opponent that he's fighting. Um I do think AJ is getting a lot of stick at the moment. I think losing to Usyk is no shame, okay? Um, The first fight, AJ didn't perform his best. The second fight, I genuinely thought he boxed pretty well. Usyk was just better. Um, You know, he got the result over over Jermaine Franklin. He got the result over Robert Hellenius. I know they weren't the most exciting fights, but you've got to remember this is a guy who's matured in his boxing style now. You know, he he used to be quite rash and he'd go out there throwing punches galore. Um, whereas he never focused on any defense. Um, so there was always a risk of him being clipped. And I think, you know, his boxing style has matured and he's actually a better boxer now. But I think he's lost his appetite for throwing punches and he's lost his kind of aggression with it. So if he could have the better boxing IQ paired with the aggression he used to have, I think he could be right back at the top of the division. So I think when when you look at AJ's resume, I think the, the Ruiz loss in New York, that was going fine through three rounds, right? The knock, AJ knocks him down, he gets... You know, he, he thinks he's going in for the finish, basically, and then he gets hit with a shot that just concusses him. It's game over from there. That can happen, right? It shouldn't have happened, but it can. Uh, he, he he righted the wrong, if you like, in Saudi Arabia later that year, um, but he hasn't wanted to go near him since, despite there being the, the trilogy allure. That probably tells you everything you need to know about that. Um, but there's no shame in losing to Usyk twice, though. Undisputed cruiserweight champion, now a unified heavyweight champion. He will go down as one of the all-time greats, Olympic gold medalist as well. I do feel sorry for Joshua, and I don't think the treatment of him has been fair in some aspects. I think we have a great tendency in the UK to build up our stars and put them on this pedestal and idolise them. And then the minute one thing goes wrong, 
we tear them down. And, you know, you can see from Joshua's behaviour and the way that he acts now in front of camera that he's fed up with the way that he's been treated. You know, we've seen it in other sports. Take Emma Raducanu, for example, um, in the tennis. You know, we built her up so much and put her on this pedestal and then results didn't go away. Injuries came into play and we tore her down and now she doesn't want anything to do with, you know, the fans and the media and stuff like that. And you're seeing that happen in so many sports that... I don't think it's right considering how much Joshua has given to boxing and to the younger generation and to the heavyweight scene as a whole and the memories he's given us and stuff for us to constantly tear into him. And I think I would like to see him be a credible opponent and and go on and kind of cement his legacy as a as a great without finishing off his career on a low where, you know, people are just constantly criticizing him yeah i mean we are the media to be fair charlotte and we we are <laughs> hoping for an aj renaissance that's what we want um you know it would be best for boxing if he does and i would love the fury and aj fight to be as big as it could possibly be anyway that's enough for part one we'll be right back after this cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to The Hook. It is I, Alex McCarthy, and Charlotte Daly, and we've been talking about boxing and, as you just heard, with our bets placed now on the line with Paddy Power, talking about UFC. Tom Aspinall has six victories in the UFC. Five of them are first-round knockouts. He submitted someone in the second round of another one. Uh, he is a devastating, multifaceted fighter. Tremendous hands, has sparred with Tyson Fury, right? He's a Mancunian um, they've worked together in the gym. It shows you the ability that he's got. He's been able to put people away in devastating fashion. Sergei Pavlovich, in similar fashion, has risen the heavyweight rankings, and he's got six first-round knockouts on the bounce. No losses. The, Aspinall's only loss was when he, he hurt his knee in, in the first opening seconds of UFC London last year. But it's not really a loss. The same way that John Jones doesn't really have a loss. That was a DQ loss. Um, so both of them are just absolutely devastating knockout punches. Now, sometimes, you know, if I'm to use a football analogy, you know, you get these exciting teams and they negate each other, right? And then, and then you get a bit of a stalemate. And maybe that could happen to go the distance. But I think in heavyweight UFC, these two both have so much power in their hands, in their feet. They've got the tools. I would argue that Aspinall's more rounded than Pavlovich and has more ways to finish him. But I just can't see either of these men lasting with the power that the other one possesses. It's going to be a shootout. It's incredible matchmaking in the wake of John Jones pulling out of his fight with Stipe Miocic. Um, And we might see just the third ever English UFC champion. Look, I mean, you said it there, of course, the fact that... um Pavlovich and Aspinall and all that have these amazing credentials um but the reason why I think it will go the distance is because of the fact they're such competitors you know but I I I just can't see Aspinall getting 
an early knockout. I mean, if you look at Pavlovich, he's the UFC's all-time leader in knockdowns uh, per 15 minutes. He's also like second-ranked all-time strikes lead per minute. Um, you know, he's dangerous and he's threatening. And the fact that Aspinall's only just really come back from that knee injury, he's had one fight, and then he's got, I think it's two weeks to prepare for this title fight. I just don't think he's going to be knocking anyone out. I mean, it's going down at Madison Square Garden, Charlotte. You, you've been to your fair share of incredible venues and spent the weekend in Monte Carlo, which is not quite York Hall, which I'm used to. Um, <laughs> before we move into Madison Square Garden, you know, I've got to ask, how was it and what did you get up to over there? Monte Carlo was probably one of the coolest fight nights I've been to. Um, Staging a fight in the middle of a casino, there's just nothing that compares to it. You know, we arrived and you walk up the red carpet, there's chandeliers everywhere. You walk into the main room and they had this massive chandelier hanging over the centre of the ring. Then you've got, you know, doors on the side of each um, wall that were leading out into little rooms where you could gamble, where you could go and put your money on black or um, you could take to the roulette table and there was bars everywhere. And I actually did try my hand at a bit of blackjack, you know. (laughs) Uh, Were you as unsuccessful as you've been thus far in our betting challenge or...? Oh, that's that's nasty. (laughs) Sorry, I'm very sorry. (laughs) Do you know what? I actually walked away even, so I'm going to take that. Listen, that's better Um, than I do normally, so congrats. But yeah, it was was a strange experience, you know, watching um, Tony Bellew at the roulette table having a go there. (laughs) We had um, Derek Chisora even said to me at one point, jokingly like oh will you lend me some money to go and bet and I was thinking Derek you'd probably give me some money (laughs) (laughs) should all be getting Um, it off Eddie Uh, there you go yeah well he did say we should take Eddie's card and go and rinse him so um but yeah no it was it was really really cool you know everyone's sipping on champagne I actually asked for a Prosecco and I got told that uh it was champagne only so that just put me in my place I'll have to make do (laughs) I know what a shame um so yeah the atmosphere was incredible there's only 300 people in there so there's not a bad seat in the house it was unbelievable you know you are quite literally ringside at every single seat um so it was an unbelievable experience and such a different venue because I was sat right next to Joe Cordina's wife his cousin his mum his whole family for the fight and given the fact there's only 300 people in the it's not even an arena it's a room um (laughs) You can hear everything. Like Joe could hear his mum telling him to pick up the pace. He could see his wife with her head in her hands. He could hear his cousin telling him to keep a tight guard. It was it was so surreal kind of having that experience, whereas normally they're drowned out by the thousands of people screaming their name and, you know, bright lights and everything. You wouldn't even be able to see the kind of front row, whereas you're right there in the thick of it. It was definitely a once-in-a-lifetime experience watching a fight in the casino. So I thought it'd be best to catch up with Eddie Hearn and get his take on venues and what he regards as his favourite venue to stage fights in. I mean, for me, I love Madison Square Garden. You know, I think it's the, the mecca of boxing. And although AJ Ruiz didn't go our way, it was an unbelievable night. And Taylor Serrano, probably one of my favourite nights. You know, you've got Wembley Stadium. Spurs was incredible. Dallas Cowboys, we sold out for Canelo against Billy Joe Saunders. Something special about the MGM Grand and T-Mobile in, in Vegas. Here, you know, um, 
But I think I will always go Madison Square Garden. I think, you know, plonked in the middle of New York City, just a venue steeped with history. And every time we promote a show there, it's a real honour. And just to put you on the spot now, if you could make any fight in history at Madison Square Garden, who would it be? Well, if I could make any fight in history, to be honest with you, it doesn't matter where it is, it's just Ben Eubank at the moment. <laughs> so uh, that's one. But, you know, I think um, you know, maybe Joshua against Wilder. You know, I, I think that fight could well land in America, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, the main arena there really warrants a mega night and a mega fight. And when you get it right, there's nothing quite like it. Eddie Hearn, spot on as usual. Madison Square Garden, so special. I I will say, Charlotte, for me, and I found this with wrestling and boxing, I generally prefer an arena to a stadium, atmosphere-wise, because in a stadium, all the noise goes up, right, and out. But when you're in an arena, it just just feels like it's on you and intense and you feel in the moment. I I feel it more when it's in an arena. But... um, there is something to be said as well for like a sea of humanity gathering <laughs> for a fight as well and being a part of that. You know, it, it is difficult really to, to pinpoint the exact favourites. But I, I, I will say when I saw AJ Usyk at Tottenham, because that has like the half roof, so mm-hmm. it kind of retains the sound. I thought that was a, a great venue for boxing. And if I could host anything, it'd be Joshua and Fury there. I'd love to see that. Um, sooner rather than later, but I won't hold my breath. Um, I I, I don't think you can beat Madison Square Garden, though, just for its majesty and history. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Madison Square Garden has played host to some truly incredible fights over the last century. I mean, you've got the Lennox Lewis versus Evander Holyfield in 1999. I think virtually every single notable name in the sport has fought at that venue. And to do so is kind of like a badge of honour. I mean, you've had Muhammad Ali, um, you know, Mike Tyson, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, Klitschko, Katie Taylor, all of those people have fought at that venue. Amir Khan and Terence Crawford. Don't don't you forget it. (laughs) You're right, you're right. (laughs) Um, You know, it's a great location for the fans as well. It's situated in, you know... Midtown Manhattan, it's a place to be. It's right on top of the train station, easy to get to. Um, but who would I like to see fight there? I mean, it's a tough question, isn't it? But I think Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder would be amazing. It's a fight we all want to see for obvious reasons. Um, but Wilder's American, Joshua is a big name in the States. I think, you know, there'd be even more hype around it if it was to take place there. Um, obviously AJ doesn't have the best memories at Madison Square Garden so maybe he wouldn't want to fight there or banish Um, the demons you never know also true yeah um yeah I think Katie Taylor if she beat Chantel Cameron in Dublin I'd like to see the rematch with Serrano there you know Eddie spoke about it a minute ago but that atmosphere was meant to be one of the best fights ever. And, you know, I went to the first fight with Katie Taylor and Chantal Cameron in Dublin. And that for me was the best atmosphere I've ever experienced, even though she lost. So I can only imagine uh, what it would be like in America because you know, there's loads of Irish fans in America as well. So, 
yeah, I think those two would be the two that I'd want to see the most in, in Madison Square Garden. So what do we think we've got coming up on male sport boxing in the next few weeks? Uh, I'm looking to do an interview with Shakur Stevenson, I can tell you, in the next couple oh. of days, which I hope to share with people ahead of his fight next week. Uh, Charlotte, are you planning on being busy? Yeah, I mean, non-stop. We're hoping to actually get in camp with a few boxers. Um, I won't give you names at the moment, but that will all be coming onto our YouTube channel, some behind-the-scenes content as they gear up for some major fights. You know, as I mentioned a minute ago, we've got the Katie Taylor fight with Chantal Cameron uh, coming up. We'll be covering that heavily, of course. Um, so lots to come on our front, to be honest. You have to keep your eyes peeled on... Um, Mail sports, YouTube channel, social media, and obviously the mail online. Exactly. You can watch us, read us, or hear us here on The Hook. Can't get away from us. <laughs> Basically. We're sponsored by Paddy Power. Please remember to download the Mail Plus app for lots of extra content and check out Mail Online for all the latest breaking news stories. For full interviews and features with stars from the fighting world, head to Mailsport YouTube channel and for clips, go to the social channels. But most of all, don't forget to rate and review us on whatever platform you get your podcast from and come back next and every Tuesday. I'm Alex McCarthy. And I'm Charlotte Daly. And this is The Hook.